Hi, this is Jenny Nash from Author Accelerator. You've heard me talk a lot about becoming a book coach because that's what Author Accelerator does. This month, I want to offer podcast listeners the chance to meet some of our awesome book coaches. For the month of March, I'm making available 25 free slots for listeners to be hand-matched with three book coaches. We look at what you're writing, what your publishing plans are, and what challenges you're having, and we match you with three coaches that we think would be a great fit to help you meet your writing goals. Our coaches run their own businesses and set their own packages and pricing. You can check them out to see if you like their services and their vibe. There's no obligation to work with any of these coaches. We just want to showcase how awesome they are, so we're offering this $50 matching service free of charge. This offer is only good for the month of March, and it's only good for the first 25 people who sign up. You can go to bookcoaches.com backslash matchme and use the code matchme. Once again, that's bookcoaches.com backslash matchme, and the secret code is matchme. Hey, Am Writers. There is a very specific reason I wanted to re-up this coaching call with Emily Edlin. I had a um, an interview with AJ Jacobs day before yesterday, and it's not going to drop until May. I love AJ Jacobs. I know you love AJ Jacobs. Really excited for you to hear our interview. But in that interview, we talked about writing nonfiction books in less than a year. It is possible to do. We had a coaching call with Emily Edlin um, many episodes ago, about 100 episodes ago, actually. And I wanted to re-up it because her book is out. She did it. She completed the task. She knew the assignment. She killed it. Her book, Autonomy Supportive Parenting, came out at the end of 2023. So I am very proud to re-up this episode and let you know uh, that the PS on that episode was success. I hope you enjoy it. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone. I don't remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Okay. Hey, I'm KJ Delantonia, and this is Hashtag Am Writing, the podcast about writing all the things, short things, long things, fiction, non-fiction, pitches, proposals. This is the weekly podcast about sitting down and getting that work done. I'm Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and the new book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence. And you can find my work at jessicaleahy.com, at the New York Times, The Atlantic, and The Washington Post. And I am KJ Delantonia, the author of the novel The Chicken Sisters, the forthcoming novel In Her Boots, the nonfiction book How to Be a Happier Parent. And um, I'm not really writing anywhere else at the moment, but I'm also the former editor of the Motherlode uh, blog and column at the New York Times. And we have we have a guest today, and I am super excited to welcome uh, what longtime listener, first time caller, <laughs> Emily Edlin. Thanks so much for coming on, Emily. Hi, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. So Emily uh, wrote us in response to our request that if you all out there have questions, burning questions about getting your work done or you know how to get the work done, craft, uh, all, all of those kinds of things, go ahead and email us. Email us at amwriting at substack. No, I'm sorry. Amwritingpodcast at substack.com. Wait, is that right? No, it's just amwriting. 
It's an well, eternal I do this question. Every week. Yep. It's an eternal week, but I know it's right. It's amwriting at substack.com. If you email us, uh, we can't promise to answer everybody, but if your question sounds like one a lot of people have, we may answer it on the podcast, or you might get lucky and end up on the hot seat like <laughs> Emily. So to go on, Emily wrote us, and Emily has a problem, but it's a very good problem, an enviable problem, a problem that she is happy to have. She has sold a nonfiction book on proposal. Yay! Yay! Right? I mean, Absolutely. So, uh, but now she has to write it. <laughs> I know. That's what, oh, there's so. always that moment where you're like, oh, oh. wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now she has to write it. So she's got 60,000 words a year to do it, which could be totally easy if you lived in a cabin in the woods with people bringing you meals and dropping them off outside of the door. But Emily does not, which is a terrible oversight on her part. Um, try to organize your life better next time. But for this time, we're going to talk about researching, organizing, and getting a draft ready for the editor while also fitting in a day job, raising three kids, a global pandemic, and all of the other curveballs that life throws at you. Did I sum it up? I think we can do that in that four hours or four hours or less for this question, of course. <laughs> so, do you want to do you want to tell just a little bit about um, uh, who you are and what the book is is meant to be, just so our readers can get a sense? Sure. So, I am a clinical psychologist by trade. So, I have my PhD in clinical psychology. Spent the first eight years in academic medicine went through a big career shift, which is a story for another time, and I landed myself in private practice and returned to my love of writing. So it's a bit of a second career phase for me, and I started writing about parenting, blending my work. I specialize in working with children and families, so blending my work and my passion for writing into helping other parents and I started a parenting blog in 2017 and then I started doing some freelance writing and all of this all of it was in service of eventually writing a parenting book so that has always been my dream my vision since I mean forever since I was a new parent struggling with my first newborn I wanted to make it better for others so so here we are. I my dream came true. <laughs> so you put together a proposal, you got an agent, and then I presume that you worked on the proposal with the agent and went out and sold it? Well, yeah, it wasn't quite so straight. So the agent part was the easiest. That's the one I listened to an M writing episode about how to get an agent and literally the next day I got an agent. But that that's was That's all it takes. It's exactly. all it takes. You listen to that episode and the agents they call you. Yeah, I just no. people say oh, how do you get an agent and I send them the URL for that episode and I'm like, yeah. "Okay, now get back to me tomorrow and let us know who you're working with now." Now, we love for it. That's great. Anyone who's jealous of how easy that was, the next part was not. So <laughs> I had my proposal. She loved my proposal. We shopped it. I was in talks with a publisher for like months, and then it all fell apart. Mm. And I had to pivot my entire concept and rewrite a proposal 
in like three weeks. So, which is going to lead me to part of the problem, which my preparation was less than it could have been mm. by the time it was, I'm ready to write the manuscript. So when we moved away from the publisher, we thought things were going to work out with, and I rewrote this idea and shopped it and it got snapped up. I mean, I wasn't going to say, oh, wait, hold on. I need to flesh this out more. Um, so that happened in April that I signed. And my deadline is May 1st, 2022. And it's a parenting book, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, 60,000 words. Okay. Do May 1st. All right. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of this. And let's start with the proposal and the research stuff. So um, number one question, is this book in at least tangentially your area of expertise? So because the, the first task is become an expert. So I'm assuming right. you're at least part of the way there, yeah, right? Check. Yes. Okay. Okay, <laughs> good. Short answer so, is yes. because that's going to make it much easier for you to write in your expert voice because that's the first hurdle really for for all of us I think if, you know, when I'm when I've been writing about a new topic, it's it's really difficult to get to that expert voice. So, excellent. You that's like a huge check your most of the way there. So, then the bigger question is if this new proposal it wasn't as thorough as you might have liked, you have to sort of get your arms around the scope of the research you're going to have to do to have a, a sufficient lay of the land to feel like you can start writing. And, and you, I love to ask that question of writers, um, how do you know when you're done researching and it's time to move on to the writing? So I'm going right. to assume that at least part of this, you do know the lay of the land, right? At least for part, you know, some aspect of the book, correct? Yes, I would okay. say that. How much... Are you going to have to do a lot of new research on the topic in order to get your arms around the rest of it? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, for me, the best thing to do is, and I don't know, you know, obviously I don't know what your, um, what you, how much you got for the book and you probably haven't even gotten the money yet because that's how this works. It takes a long time. If you have the funds, um, you need to start snapping up resources, or, you know, and I, you know, there are certain search engines that work really well to sort of help me figure out how big I have to spread my net for the research. But, you know, start your research with the essential stuff and then move out as time allows. But for example, like on this next project I'm about to work on, there were certain core texts that it was obvious I was going to need those. But I also got really excited about these tangential texts that are all over the place. So keep your, if you're restricted in your time for resource, for the research, keep your eye on those core texts as your priority and get through those and use the notes and resources and the bibliography for those core texts to inform your tangential texts. So for me anyway, the core text sort of that allows me instead of looking like I'm looking right now at the five shelves that are all the research I need for my third book, a half of a shelf are the core texts. But if I keep looking at those four shelves, I'm going to get overwhelmed. 
So start prioritizing. Create. In fact, what I do when I organize my research is I organize it by topic within the topic. So I can look over right now and say, oh, there's my half shelf of core texts. And, and the shelf above it is kind of stuff I can think about when I get to chapter six. When you wrote your- That is a great moment to segue yeah. to a quick yeah, just a interruption question, which is, do you have a structure? Like, do you, it sounds like you didn't get a plan together in the way that you had for your original proposal. So, but you've had some time since. Do you have a structure you're set on now? Yes. So I have it, it's in three sections and each section mm -hmm. is a little bit, the chapter structure is a bit different within each section. Is, okay. is it, is it some, a deal where like sort of, one or two of the sections, like, could you divide it up into this sec section? I, I pretty much know this section needs masses of research. This session is something in between, or could you do that? Like by, could you put together a list of chapters and, and tell yourself whether what stage you should be at with those chapters? Could you, are you, early research? Are you drafting but still researching or are you drafting? Excellent question. Yeah. It has felt very fluid and moving, not as organized as I'm used to operating. So what I've discovered is I start with researching the topic I write and then I research more based on as I'm writing and realizing, oh, this is a missing piece. What else mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. I need to read? And I think one of the struggles with time is I could read so many parenting books. Right, right. And I'm not, I can't, you know, and especially right. cover to cover. So I also have to be very discerning around how to skim, how to scan. And kind of skimming and scanning out. is key and also realizing that a lot you know there's a lot of redundancy yes. in the parenting space so pick i would pick the the books that you, you the authors you trust the most and who are really dedicated to rigorous research as opposed to <laughs> you're very sweet she's holding up our books she's very very sweet um so here's my next question and this relates to kj's question hold on go this relates to kj's question do you have chapter summaries Yes. Okay. Yay. All right. That's a, that's fantastic. And keeping in mind, of course, those can change. Right. But at least if you have chapter summaries, you have a skeleton to hang things on. KJ, did you have another question that's related to that? I wanted to just talk about, really take a moment about deciding what the research should be. And that is, you know, the, the, the big books in any, in any chapter um, or any category and then making sure you have a diversity of viewpoints. So, you know, you want to check out. So spend more, you know, less time on a second book that talks about uh, discipline from the uh, perspective of an academic researcher and put some of that time into discipline from the perspective of somebody who's, you know, whose background or experience in our culture is different. So yeah. That's. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe just put yourself, give yourself a limit, like, right. you know, for, to start. Yeah. Okay. Jess no, that's great. No, no, that. no, no. I was, yeah. I was like, gesturing. Yes, that's yeah. great. Like because three I, books per chapter and then I write and then I have, a, I, I leave big blanks where I can't do things and then I go back and fill in those blanks. And as a PhD, as a person with a PhD, I'm going to assume that you are into thoroughness and you are into details and you know so that when you say 
I'm used to really being detail-oriented and meticulous and having a lot of structure, just remember that you don't necessarily, at least on this first pass, at least when you're trying to just get words down on the page, you don't need to be at that level of what you're used to in a thesis, in you know your dissertation research. Because for me anyway, getting that first pass down starts to give me a shape and it starts to give me some reassurance about my um, where the holes are and where I need to do this, the research spackling, as I refer to it, and where I'm good. So for you, I think it might be a great idea for you, as KJ said, to start tackling the chapters where you know you're solid. Get some confidence. Get your voice going because your voice in the book, and wait, is this your first book? Your yes. first commercial book? Yes. Okay. So just establishing your voice is yep. like a really important part of the process. So start with the stuff that you're most solid on, that you're most familiar with, that you most feel like the expert on, and just get that stuff down on the page. And I, this is this is actually a piece of advice that Jess has given, so I'm giving it from Jess. Um, even while you're making these broad strokes in your chapters, give make a system to tell yourself where you got a piece of information. Yeah, right. Uh, for two reasons: first, so you can go back and flesh it out, and second, so that you don't ever, ever, ever accidentally not quote something that was a quote. Right. Um, so yeah. So give yourself a system yeah. for that. Colors, uh, whatever you know, whatever works for yeah. you. Um, My goal for this yeah. third book is going to be learning um, endnotes or bookends or whatever it is I'm using uh, my my content resource not my content re my citation manager database um, better so that I'm you know because with every single book there's always one piece where I'm like hell that was a study I know that was a study I know I read it I can't find it um, and that was what drove me to get more I had to meticulous. take something out yeah. because I could never go I just yep. never could find it yep. again yep. I know it's out there yep. it had to do with making your bed and I yeah I just, it was gone. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. But that's okay. And uh, also, there was something I had to take out of um, the addiction inoculation because I didn't, I, I, my tendency is to oversight, which is great because then I can always take them out if I need to, if they're not really necessary. And I didn't cite this particular sentence and we had a question about it and I just had to take it out because I didn't even know where I'd gotten it. So um, I didn't know where that idea came from. I didn't know where that data came from. And, you know, it was a good sentence and I wish I'd been able to keep it. So be super meticulous from the beginning on that. It'll save you time. Right. Okay. So we've gotten our arms around, you know, you're the expert. You can you can go to those chapters first. Get your voice going. Get you know um, some feeling of mastery. Feel like you've got some words on the page, and that's a really good place to start. And then, as you do that, you're going to get a sense of where the holes in your research are, and then you can start filling those without letting your brain go. Oh my God, there's 250 books that I have to somehow get through and put note little you know notes in and stuff like that so start with what you know and I think I think you're in actually a lot better shape than you think you are yeah you already gave me exactly what you need in terms of um I, it feels like you said this is feeling much more loosey-goosey and and slippery than you you would like it to so you know this is sort of my favorite space to uh I I'm a maker of lists and charts and um, so I'm going to encourage you, if, if you are a maker of lists and charts, to uh, 
make a list of all your chapters. And if you don't know what a chapter is specifically, but you know, just something loose and then figure out, so figure out where you stand at Mm -hmm. this moment um, and which stage you're in. You, you named three stages, early research, drafting based on early research and then filling in holes. And then there's obviously going to be a fourth stage, which is uh, revising the chapter. Um, so, so there, you got four stages for every chapter, and you can take a look at what you have and figure out where you are with each one of those. And then, so you told us you have about eight hours a week, yeah. which, you know, isn't a ton, but it, it is enough. I think you got to do some hard math. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got 29 weeks from here. That's God. We could we could do that math, but mm-hmm. it'll just yeah. scare you. Base, you have three hundred hours. That's not you. Don't have three hundred hours, but but you have about two hundred and fifty hours. Um, so you really need to be like, okay, I got mm-hmm. ten chapters. Each one of them needs to go through X phases. This phase, this this one's here. This one. You need to look at each chapter and go. This is how many hours, more hours. I think this is going to take. Um. And, and then you got to, you know, Break target every week and you got to be really, really um, firm with yourself about stopping when you run out of time because you, you will turn this in and then your editor will give it back. Right. And I think part of doing this for the first time for anyone is this whole process is sort of this. I feel like I'm on a path blindfolded. Like, I don't know what it's going to feel like each phase. Mm-hmm. And right. that I am not used to that. I'm right. used to knowing yeah. where I'm going. And yeah, you probably don't have an idea of how long these things are going to take you. Right. Um, and you just sort of have to make, so it, it might, a better strategy just for the moment, rather than looking at the whole 29 weeks might be, let's look at the, just the end of the year. You've got, you know, two and a half months to the end of the year, realis- realistically, um, some of that time isn't going to exist because yeah. it's November and December. Right. And <laughs> that was going to so- be my very next point because, you know, you have to give yourself a yeah. break around certain holidays. Just, right. you're going to have, you know, and I was going to also mention your deadline is May 1st. And so you tend to get the the word May in your head, you don't really have your, May. Your deadline is your April 30th. Your deadline is right. April 30th. So <laughs> let's pretend May doesn't exist. You have April 30th. The other thing I wanted to ask you is this. Have you and your editor talked about whether or not your editor wants to see, see stuff along the way? Or is your editor like, bye, I'll see you April 30th and you can give it all to me? Because originally, with my first book, the answer was, I just handed it all in at once. It would have been so helpful if I could have taken, for example, some of those chapters where I felt like I was already in my expert voice and I felt like I was on solid ground and give those to my editor and say, I apologize, this isn't in order. This may not be chapter one, then chapter two, chapter three. But may I, along the way, give you a few chapters that I'm feeling like are 70% done so that I could get your feedback because you're going to need to be able to pivot if you're not seeing eye to eye. And that can be super scary. And our tendency is going to be, let's just not do that. And let's get to the deadline and hope that it's all okay. But I promise you, it's going to be a lot less, uh, the the pain threshold can come down once you, if you and your editor are actually talking to each other about um, stuff that's in progress. And that may not be everyone's 
deal. For This is just how it worked for me. My editor and I did not see eye to eye on my first draft of The Gift of Failure, and it would have been so great if I had known that earlier. So I have actually, she was the see you in a year category, mm-hmm. and I pushed back on that a bit because that felt so uncomfortable to me and my process and style. So she's open to looking at parts along the way, but I've learned that the feedback is very broad strokes. Okay. So, but I have at least gotten some reassurance. I sent a very detailed outline and she said, great. So if anything, I don't think we're going to have a fundamental misalignment. (laughs) Emily, you have a very detailed outline. And even if it's a half-assed proposal, you have a half-assed proposal and a very detailed outline. You are so much, yes, I'm not even going to pretend that time is not short on this one. It is going to be tight. But you are in such a better position than I feared going into this call. You're in a, I would feel... A few waves of panic here and there when I look at my bookshelves and I see all 250 books, but you're going to have to get in the habit of reassuring yourself that you really are, A, an expert in this, and B, you have agreed on a on a, um, a working, meticulous, you know, detailed outline. And I think that's fantastic. What is their plan post you turning it in? Like, are they going, yay, and then we're going to publish it in the fall of 2022? Or, okay, good. No. <laughs> so I have three months. To so a copy editor looks at it, and then my next deadline is three months later, August 1st. But my actual pub date, and I know I'm not alone in this, was recently delayed. From, yay, honestly, yay. I, I mean, I know that's scary and horrible, and you're like, you have an expectation, but yay, yay. So instead of spring 2023, it's fall 2023 as of now. So fall's a better time for a parenting That's anyway. what I said, yeah. too, actually. Yeah. yeah, spring is not... Nobody Nobody picks that up for summer reading. And let me, just, let me just propose the absolute worst-case scenario just to reassure you. The Gift of Failure handed in November 1st, 2013. It sucked. <laughs> gift of Failure... Was it really 13? Yeah. Yep. Oh, no, my wait. goodness. For, no. Oh, wait, I sold it in 13. Yes, I did. I yeah. sold it in 13. I wrote it over the summer. I handed it in on November 1st, November uh, 2013, 2013. Then got a head injury, had lots of problems from with the book. Editor says, we're going to delay by a year. I fall apart. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, especially as a first-time author. And you know what? So what? It came out a year later And it did fine. I mean, you know, my timeline was disrupted, but the book's timeline happened to be great. So there you go. There's one of the worst case scenarios that can happen to you, and it worked out great for me. So cross that off your list of nightmares. Will do. Thank you. This is what I do as a therapist. What is the worst (laughs) thing that could happen? (laughs) Exactly. Um, So KJ, we've done the research. We've done process. Is there anything else you want to get at in terms of... Um, how she yeah, attack just, mode. Um, yeah, attack mode. So I would I would set yourself a reasonable but ambitious goal for the end of the year and make it one that will tell you, or, you know, the end of November or Thanksgiving, if you'd rather, but make it a goal that will help you to get your hands around how long things take you. 
what is a good goal? I don't even know for, let's see, end of the year would be four months before deadline. See, the problem is, is this um, is a nonfiction book. So you're assuming, I mean, it's not going to be like, okay, I can start today on X chapter and it's all going to be even and the same because you may have to do some extra research in there. Um, I actually, as opposed to an end of the year goal, what I would do is set smaller, a small, a set a more short-term goals than that. But if, if it were me and I had partial mastery and partial expertise over a topic, I think, and how many chapters are in your chapter summary? You said 60,000 words, right? Uh, 15 chapters. Oh, so you're dealing with actually pretty short chapters, which is great. In fact, uh, go ahead. Well, um, so far I have overwritten Okay. So, well, yeah, that's fine. But you can always cut. So, one yeah. of the nice things about shorter chapters um, is that they're more manageable in terms of goals and chunks of time. So, as we do with our year-end goals, think about think about what you can control and what you can't and focus on what you can control and what you can control is how much time do I have and how many words would I like to have down on the page by that period of time. And I don't know, KJ has a lot of different strategies. She's looking through those people who can't see Yeah, I was looking to see if video. I could find I was looking to see if I could find my old burn charts, but um, so this is it's this is a question of of personality and what works for you. So you kind of have to take out of this what you what what you like. But um, you know, I would I would make a chart that was like you know chapter not that I wouldn't put the numbers because they don't matter, but you know, uh, food, discipline, homework, whatever, um, and then I would make four columns for which, where I, what stage I was at for each one, um, I would look at the amount of time I would figure out. So my thought is that you should be shooting to be, to have a full draft by probably the middle of March. Okay. Because then you are going to go back. So that'll be, and that'll be your, your first three column draft. Okay. Like the one that's got all the information and, and you've done this, the part where you go back and fill in the holes and you spackle over the research, as Jess said. But that fourth column is 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 sitting there. And then you're going to have a revision. So that gives you some cushion if you're not, if you don't quite make it. But it also gives you a nice lot of time for revising and going back over and seeing if you've got more stuff. So I would I would look at this and say, all right, May, March 15th, I want to be done. Um, these are the, the chunks of work that I, that I, the one, two, ha- the one, two, three, four. Yeah. You can each chapter, right, the can, one, two, three, you could have even little, like, um, on your wall, you could have like each chapter gets four post-its, the one, two, three, four, and you could have like a little chart going of what you're doing or, right. you know, something like that. KJ's burn chart and thing is nice. I think you nice. say, yeah, I think you say to yourself, all right, I have to, you know, this chapter, you know, has to be fully done by X date. And this, I, I think you, you do the math as though, so I think the first thing you do is sort of figure out, well, how many tasks are in this? And then you take a look at your, your, your hours. And I'm guessing that it's not really like eight hours. It's more like on, I have a Monday chunk and I have a Thursday chunk and I have a weekend chunk. And then I would assign or I would actually, what I would do is say, all right, I have, you know, 29 pieces of work that have to get done and I have available 
you know, 46 chunks. So how many, how many, how many things do I have to get done at each, in, in each of these blocks of time? And then in about two or three weeks, or really at the end of every week, I would look at that and see, am I on track? If I'm not on track, is that because something went wrong or I wasn't able to get the stuff done? Or is it because I've been overly ambitious? Um, and if you get to the end of December and this is not going to happen, that is the time to tell your agent and your editor. Okay. That's the magic of this burn chart is it will give you that information. You will be able to look at this and just go, man, you know, cause there is no writing a whole book in the two weeks before yeah. it's two. <laughs> well, and actually I want to hit pause on this conversation just for one second and go back to something really essential is if this deadline is feeling unreasonable to you, and we agree it is a short deadline, can this be changed now? Like, do you want more time? Can you have your agent push back on this timeline? Because my agent would say, heck yeah, we can. It's better to do it early in the process than to do it late in the process. It's always better to have expectations up front align rather than disappoint later. But I will also say that when I got to, I think um, the addiction inoculation was originally due in July, and I got in touch with my agent in like the 1st of June, and I said, this isn't going to happen by July. I just have too much research left to do. And she said, great, you need to estimate a realistic deadline for yourself now because we're not going to get to do this again. You get to do this one. You get to move the deadline once, essentially. And I said, okay, great. Let's, I need to have it done by this date because I've got this other thing going on. And I, I, you know, a month before my deadline was done, I just said, you know, unexpected research came out that I didn't know that I'd have to do. But if it were me, the time to ask for an extended deadline is right now or earlier in the process. So it's going to be a really good idea to do what KJ is doing. If you don't ask now, and there's the possibility you may ask later, this burn chart thing is really going to help you know, this chart that KJ is talking about is really going to help you know early enough in the process so that you're not pissing anyone off, you know, too late in the process. So when yeah. my pub date changed, I had this crazy assumption that so did my manuscript deadline. And when I tried to confirm that, she said, oh, no, you're still you still have the same due date. We might we could push it another month. So within that back and forth, I was told June 1st could be an option. Well, here's the thing. Usually 12 months is the production lead time for so. I would ask now, personally, if it were me, I would ask, I would go to my agent and I'd say, what's the possibility that we could revisit this question about changing the deadline now that the pub date has been changed? Because if they, if, you know, I want this book to be the best possible book it could be, and I would hope my editor would agree, and I think I need a little bit more time. If you do. If you do. <laughs> I mean, and, and it, this is not, I don't think we're trying to say this isn't doable. Oh, it's absolutely doable. on eight doable. hours a week. You know, I, especially if you can back off of the uh, overwriting and if you can be really disciplined about not over-researching and stick to a, a plan. You know, the, right. these are words you could get on the page with thought and care and research, yep. I think, in the time you have. Um, so to be... But if, yeah, if you can't, right. better to ask earlier. To be specific, yeah. I am down to one and a half chapters to write. So 
which sounds better than it is because a lot of the chapters I've done a blend of mm -hmm. pre-writing, sort of bullet points, right, and writing. It's just sort mm -hmm. of this mess. So there's a yeah. lot of mess to clean up. Yep. Um, and that's hard to know how long it takes, but I do have words on the page. That's great. You are. You're in good shape. You're you're in great shape. You really are. I would. I. You know. And and once you say that to me, actually, I think what I well, I would do one of two things. I would either finish that remaining chapter and a half, and then go back and look at every chapter and go, what do I have? What do I need? How long do I think it's going to take? Yep. Um. And make yourself a really strict deadline. Or I would leave that chapter and a half and go ahead and do all the rest of it on the assumption that the chapter and a half will probably fa be faster and easier to write, especially if it's the end. Yep. Um. Uh, yeah, I would do one of of those two things. And then, do you have like, do you have trouble sitting down and getting it done? No. I'm Good. pretty. This is what happens though. I sit down. Every the morning, I have four mornings a week, 8.30, I sit down. By 10.30 to 11, I'm done. Mentally, right. the fog mm -hmm. comes mm -hmm. in. <laughs> and there are times that I need to do something else, another writing assignment project. Um, so, so there's a little bit of, I don't always get it done, or I don't always spend all that time on the book, mm -hmm. Right. if that makes sense. But, but I have a good routine. Yeah. One nitpicky detail you might just want to think about now at the on the front end is just confirm with your editor that you're working from the same the right style guide, um, just so that you can start thinking. You know, just so you can have it in your brain as you're writing. Because yes, you can do find replace at the end, and yes, you can change the naming conventions for whatever at the end. But it's always nice just to know ahead. Okay, I'm using Chicago. Do I have my copy of the Chicago Manual of Style at 17th edition? And um, do I at least know, you know, all of that sort of stuff? So that those stupid little details. But I, I, Emily, I think you're in really, really good shape. If you were saying I'm writing a book about the mating habits of otters and I have a PhD in, um, you know, astronomy, I would say, you know, you're in some trouble here. But you're not. You are an expert in the field in which you are writing and you have work done. You have a lot of the research under your belt. You are an expert in this field. I think you're working from a lot of strengths here. Yeah, I think your biggest challenge and the only thing just to make sure that you're and you know that you're trying to figure this out is to make sure you don't think you have more done than you do. Right. So that May 1st, which we're calling April 30th, right. 30 days has September, April, yes, April 30th, April 30th, um, so that it doesn't sneak up on you because you're thinking, oh, I'm in pretty good shape. You want to know what kind of shape you're in and how many hours remain, um, and that also allows you to adjust it if, you know, if weird things happen. Oh, one other question. Emily, I don't know, um, KJ and I happen to have edit agents who like to edit our work before it goes off to the editor. Um, my, on this last book, we agreed that that's how it would work. But then towards the end, when I was slamming the chapters out really fast and there wasn't going to be enough turnaround time, um, we didn't. Um, so make sure you have an agreement. If, you know, if you're going to try to get some chapters in early to for your editor to look at make sure you're also talking to your agent because you don't want to be handing your agent um you know a man a couple of chapters on december 1st when your agent has six manuscripts to edit all at the same time or something like that so just keep your agent in that loop 
always CC your agent on every email to your, these are stupid details, but they matter. Um, just talk to your agent about your understanding of whether or not your agent wants to edit and then make sure your editor is clear on would it be okay with you if I'm sending you chapters four and five by X date so that we can make sure we're on the same page? That's helpful. I had not thought of that. I have a question mm -hmm. that apparently I missed this. Um, what are the four columns on the burn chart? Um, you're in, in early research stage, which would be you really haven't written anything. Um, you're you're in your drafting uh the drafting the messy stage stage so the, i guess the question is it's it's have i done the, the for early research have i drafted anything have i done the research to fill in the holes and then it's revision got it thank you and if you want add a final cleanup you know that sort of the mm -hmm. you know the style guide checking for me it's um, probably you'll make this yeah. list multiple yeah, times of course. Yeah. because you'll change the deadlines um yeah <laughs> that's you know you just every so often it's like okay you know I'm falling behind and it's not because I'm not working my two hours you know my more not because I'm not working every morning it's because this these things take more time than I thought they mm -hmm. did but the whole goal of this is to recognize that right. as a problem before it becomes a problem and if you're interviewing anyone Emily for this book you want to get that get that's like goes to the top of your pile of to-do items <laughs> if you are relying on other people at all you want to get those <laughs> things scheduled and under your belt and recorded um you know obviously you know this ask for permission to record when you talk to them record the thing um make sure you have all of that stuff done as quickly as possible because anytime you're relying on another person you you're throwing a, a wrench into the work something out of your yeah. control and i have a sneaking suspicion from what you've said, that your editor is not planning to do a significant amount of editing, um, which is why you want to give yourself that six-week cushion so that what what you turn in, you should be prepared. I've just this is me talking to other people who have have put out nonfiction books more recently than I have. You should be prepared for the idea that whatever you turn in, they're going to be like, "Great, it's going to the copy editor." Um, yes, I will. Because that say, is happening more and more. I have this fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> that I would write this rough book and then some magical editor would come along and make it amazing. And I've dispelled that fantasy. It, it sounds like that's not the experience you're going to yeah. have this time around. Yeah. So, but this has been incredibly helpful and I actually Yay. feel more hope after talking to you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> That's sometimes, the idea. Sometimes you just need someone to help you step outside your frame of reference and say, no, look, if this was someone else and you were giving the advice, you would be like, you're in great shape, at least on the, you know, the preliminary stuff. And then, you know, I, I think I'm, I feel really good about where you're going and I hope that you do as well. Thank you. Well, <laughs> you're the expert, so I trust you. <laughs> Trust you more than myself. The thing about a book, though, is, you know, it it changes and morphs. And as KJ said, you know, the lists are going to, your the, your burn chart's going to change, your expectations are going to change, your research is going to change. But um, as long as you're, you don't have some fantasy that it's all going to be easy and you can get X numbers of words written in every single allotable hour, you know, then I think you're, it sounds like you have a really good realistic sense of the time this is going to take. 
Yes. Yeah, I wish I could find my burn charts from specifically Happier Parent because they're more geared towards nonfiction. And I know that we have pictures mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, we do. Um, so I, I and I'm going to link those in the show notes anyway. So I will I'll send Great. that along to you. I would love well, that. Should we switch gears and talk about what we've been reading? Sure. I can. Yeah. Ready. All right, Emily gets to go first. All right. So I cannot believe I'm doing this segment. I love this segment <laughs> so much. Okay. <laughs> so I know I can do a couple, right? Um, yeah, sure. So I recently read The Psychology of Money by oh. Morgan Housel. I'm not sure I'm saying his last name right. But I, one of my chapters is about finances and money. So it was part research for the book, but part my own personal enrichment. And it was really accessible, short chapters with very fascinating points about our culture and money and how it affects our psychology and thinking about money. So it was just kind of a different topic. Yeah, that's, but, I love that idea. I'm, I may have to pick that one up. It's a pretty easy read. And then the other one that I've loved recently that I still think about is Samantha Irby's Wow, No Thank You. Yeah. (laughs) Love Samantha Irby. Yes. I mean, this was like laughing out loud as I'm in bed every night (laughs) falling asleep. (laughs) And it was just so her voice is very refreshing and humble. And there are even parts of her own experience about writing and and working on her first book and it was just very relatable and fun and a lot of it's in Chicago I live right outside of Chicago so I just really enjoyed her voice and having a bit of levity in my life right now her all of her stuff is fantastic I go back to it every once in a while I have it on audio so everyone and it's in her voice so every once in a while I go back to it just when I need a little boost of happy in my life she's so funny KJ you want to go next Sure. Um, I will continue the nonfiction theme with uh, Becoming Duchess Goldblatt by Anonymous. <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> it was, it's, uh, this is such a, so this is a memoir of the famous Twitter voice, uh, Duchess Goldblatt, which if you don't follow Duchess Goldblatt to. on Twitter, you you absolutely should. And much, although since I'm off Twitter, I I miss her. Oh, but, you know, I, I feel she'd have let me go with, with Grace and a, and, and a Pop-Tart. So this, it's, this is the memoir of the person who is that voice. And it's a little strange because the process of sort of turning herself into that humorist was, it, is um, odd and kind of sad in part. So it's this combination of that funny voice with the, the fact that the person behind it isn't necessarily as happy as you know you might want i got i have i have thoughts about the sort of um depth like or mm-hmm. the the complicated psychology yeah. of this book but man it's fascinating it's really entertaining and so it, uh, it, becoming Gold, duchess goldblatt is a recommend it made it highly tempting to start like an ulterior persona you know uh, an uh, alternate persona sort of feed and just sort of mine the depths of someone who's not you. It just sounded like fun to me. And, and I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I love that book. I really did. 
I have been on doing college visits with my youngest child, and um, most of those have been, all of those have been in New England. And so we have been listening to The Secret History by Donna Tartt in the car, uh, because Donna Tartt uh, attended Bennington College, and um, actually, and it leads to the second thing that I'm going to recommend. Um, But The Secret History, if you've never listened to it, Donna Tartt reads it herself. If you've never read it, it is definitely worth a read. Um, It's a based on her based on her sort of uh, Bennington um, time at Bennington, obviously without the uh, the murder, (laughs) I hope, (laughs) with a little bit of um, oh, just anyway, it's just really wonderful. So then I was thinking about Donna Tartt and I was thinking about the secret history and there is a new podcast out from C13 Originals, but you can, and you can listen to it anywhere. I'm listening to it on uh, Apple Podcasts by Lily Anolik, A-N-O-L-I-K, and it is a podcast called Once Upon a Time at Bennington College because it turns out that Donna Tartt and um, Brett Easton Ellis and Jonathan Oh my gosh, it just left my head. Anyway, a bunch of... Franzen? Uh, nope, not Jonathan Franzen. I'll come Different up with Jonathan. that in a second. Um, it's Saffron Four. No, another one. Um, and so many Jonathans. I know, I know. Sorry, I'll stop um, <laughs> pitching Jonathans at you. <laughs> um, anyway, a whole bunch of... Oh, Jonathan Latham. All were in the same class at Bennington College. And in fact, Donna Tartt went on a date with Brett Easton Ellis. And it just, it's fascinating. And it's uh, a look at what was it about Bennington College in 1986, which was, the, they were the class of 86, so 84 through 86, where Brett Easton Ellis comes from Los Angeles and Donna Tartt comes from the South and Jonathan Latham comes from wherever the heck it is Jonathan Latham came from. And the three of them convene on this very particular campus in this very particular way and became the literary stars that they are. And it's fascinating. I think right now she's on like episode five. So I've been listening to that as I'm also listening to The Secret History. So my brain is steeped in sort of Vermont um, literary, college literary stuff. And it's been really fun. I always love it when you can read a book and listen to a podcast about like how that book came to be and what was the process and what was it inspired by and all that kind of fun stuff. So um, I'm highly enamored of this podcast and of The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Cool. Yep. Well, all right. This was a little bit of a long episode, but I hope everyone enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. And uh, Emily, I hope we, we sent you away raring to go make a list and get some stuff done. You with solved all action, my problems. <laughs> action items. We hope we you're leaving here with takeaways. That's always our goal. Yes. So. I'm going to do it. Excellent. If any listeners have more questions, the best place to start is always our Facebook group, Am Writing Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can, as I said, you can also email us at amwriting at substack.com. If you get the weekly show notes, which I've been expanding and adding to and sometimes have a few things in them that aren't in the episode, which this one certainly will. Uh, so if you don't get those, you should. If you get those and you just press reply, that also goes to amwriting at substack.com. So that's an easy place to put in a question. And we always love hearing from people and mostly manage to respond. So there we go. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show. And until next week, everyone, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. 
Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.